and our two kids who have since grown up for some crazy reason, um, helped start Prairie Ridge Church. And so it was fun when Aaron asked me if I would come and teach with you to uh, teach you today. So I'm curious, how many of you have been on spring break? Okay, a few of you have. All right. So you're not, anybody else go someplace warm? Okay, not just Aaron. He's got, the, their whole family has this like whole tan over here this morning. So anyway, our family did not go on spring break, but um, a few weeks ago, actually a few months ago, we did take a little sunny vacation. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. So before I get started, let's just pray and ask God to bless the word. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place. And now, Lord, as you just have asked me to give a message, I pray that you would impart the words to those of us who are sitting here today. It's all up to you on what you want to do in our hearts today. And so we give it to you, and I humbly come before you asking God that you use me. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. All right, well, so yes, um, back in January, my family and I decided that we were going to take a little um, family vacation in conjunction with a business trip. And so we had the opportunity to go to San Diego. Anybody been to San Diego? It is beautiful. And so early in the morning before my three little grandchildren would get out of bed and then the six adults of us, I would take a walk along Mission Beach. And one of the things that absolutely mesmerized me was the surfers that were surfing in that early morning hour. Now, I'm not sure if I was more mesmerized by the fact that men and women would get up when it's 45 to 50 degrees, because it wasn't hot at 6 in the morning. So the fact that they would put on a wetsuit, go out to the ocean, and hover on those surfboards, and then just wait for the right wave to come along. That mesmerized me, the fact that it was freezing cold and they would get out in the water because I never have, nor will I ever, go surfing. I'm not that coordinated. But as I sat and watched them, I was so amazed at their patience as they waited and waited and waited for the right wave to come along. And then once it did, and they would just get up on that surfboard and take an, an amazing, amazing ride. In fact, do we have a video clip that's ready to go to show it? Amazing. I heard somebody say, wow. Wow, that's what I think when somebody surfs. Well, what, what we know is that unless there is power under that wave, they're not going to have a great surf, right? So when you watch the ocean and you see the waves come in and go out, and they come in and go out, and when the surfers get up on those boards and the power from underneath the ocean that catapults them off into a great surf is absolutely amazing. And we depend on power, don't we? Those surfers depend on power. And we depend on power every single day of our lives. What if we did not have power would paralyze us? What for you could you not do without? Anybody? Your microwave? Maybe your washer, your dryer? This winter it was what? 
furnace, heat, right? Our furnaces got a lot of work this winter. For me, if I want to lose control, if you want to see me freak out, watch me freak out when my blow dryer quits working at 7 in the morning when I'm trying to do my hair and get ready for work. Ask my husband, it's a bad hair day if my blow dryer doesn't work. So we absolutely depend on power. Now i got to do something here to my iPad that I forgot to do before I started, and that is take off my um, shit, my lock, so it doesn't keep locking up on me. All right, let me get back here. Sorry about that. Okay. So anyway, we depend upon our power. And I think if we all think about it for a moment, there are things in our lives that we could not do without without power. And over the past few months, I've been walking through the book of Acts, and I've been reflecting on the early church, and I've been studying a portion of scripture that for me says everything about the books of that book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles today, if you've got your phone app, you can pull up the book of Acts because that's where I'm going to hang today. And I'm going to start with one scripture and I'm going to focus on this one scripture that I think is key to what happened in the book of Acts and to what happened in the early church and is key for us. And we're going to start right at the beginning at Acts 1 and it's verse 8 and it says this, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Once you read that with me, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So friends, the Holy Spirit inside of me, the Holy Spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit who sets us up to do the ministry of Jesus here and now, the Holy Spirit who came upon particular people at particular times to do particular tasks in the Old Testament is the same Holy Spirit who comes to a small group of disciples huddled together in the upper room waiting and praying for this response, for this promise that Jesus said would come, this promise of the Holy Spirit. And these people knew then that they needed God's power and that they weren't going to accomplish anything without the Holy Spirit's power. And so my question for you, church, is this. Do you recognize that same need for power? Do you recognize the need that that power is as important to us as Christ followers, as our furnaces to us, as our washer, our dryer, our cell phone, our microwave? Are you desperate for this power? Do you want this same power? So what I want to do in just the short time that I have this morning is I want us to look at some broad themes that I see where this reliance upon the Holy Spirit caused the early church to have significant, significant growth. And as I've read through Acts a a few times over the past few months, I highlighted portions of text and keywords that seem to be repetitive themes throughout the whole chapter, the whole um, book of Acts. And I'm not going to read all of those scriptures because it would take too long. But I want us to look at them very quickly. And I would encourage you, if you're in a small group, maybe as you're getting started with these pods, you're doing study on your own, do this on your own. Go through the book of Acts and highlight or write down repetitive themes that you see over and over. So I'm going to do this really quickly. And and I asked, um, oh, remind me of your name. Yes, to put this up on the board or up on the screen. And I'm going to read some of these words that speak to me of Holy Spirit power. 
Preaching was done with boldness. People were, were converted. People were devoted. People prayed. People had fellowship. Signs and wonders were happening. People were worshiping. People had fellowship. People were getting saved. People were bold. People were getting healed. People were in awe of God. Prophecy was being fulfilled. People believed. Signs and wonders were happening. People believed. People were healed. Believers increased. Miracles were happening. Evil spirits were cast out. People were listening to the Spirit. People were healed. People were converted. People were preaching the good news. You hear some of the themes? You see some of the repetitive themes here? And that is only in six chapters. That's just six chapters of the book of Acts. These themes were indicative of life in the early church because of God, because of his power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Say it with me again. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now the Greek word for power means dunamis. Dunamis. And maybe Aaron has taught you on that before. But dunamis is used 120 times in the New Testament alone. And it's the root word for the word dynamite, dynamo, dynamic. So you can just envision it, right? What, what happens when you put dynamite in a building, an old building, to get rid of it? What happens, kids? Yeah, it explodes like it's a big noise. And the whole building comes down. Power, dunamis, dunamis. What then did this power do? So we're going to look at a few of those themes, a few of the themes that I've seen. And we're going to start with this word, boldness. So you can write that down. The Holy Spirit gave people boldness. And the boldness starts in Acts 2. So you can pull that up, Acts 2, verse 14. And here's what we see. We see this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And then a little bit further on in chapter 3... When Peter and John heal a lame man, and then Peter goes on to teach the crowd. And then in chapter 4, you can pull that up, chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, it says this. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them. And they began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then the text says this, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, if you've done any studying about Peter, you know that Peter's the guy that denied Jesus three times. You know that he was kind of an unstable leader during Jesus' time. But Christ had forgiven him. Christ had restored him. And this is the new Peter. This is the Peter with a strut. This is the Peter walking into Hollywood saying, hey, I deserve that part in the movie. This is Peter, confident. He's humble, but he's bold. He's confident and he's courageous. And his confidence comes from the Holy Spirit who makes him a powerful, dynamic speaker. And nothing adds up here because he wasn't schooled. He wasn't experienced. He didn't go to school to become a preacher. But he was walking with the Holy Spirit. 
Now listen, in Peter's case, he happens to be teaching with boldness. And I imagine probably some of you are here, here are saying, we're going to leave that up to Pastor Aaron, right? He can preach in boldness. Don't call me to be preaching. Don't call me to be teaching. And I so get that. I so get that. But these guys... These guys, not just Peter, also we go on to learn about Paul, about Paul and about John, guys who were preaching with boldness. And what I want to tell you, friends, is that God wants to call every single one of us into Holy Spirit boldness. Every single one of us. There is a need for spirit leading that will move in places that man and woman and teen and child cannot comprehend. And that will come through ministering together in the boldness of God's spirit. The Greek word for boldness is this, parousia. Parousia. And I love this definition. It says this, a divine enablement that comes to ordinary and unprofessional people, exceeding spiritual power and authority. It's a result of being filled with the spirit. So I'll say it again. The world is waiting for a bold people. And being bold doesn't mean that you're going to be offensive. It doesn't mean that you're going to be insensitive. It doesn't mean that you're going to be stupid. And parents, you probably taught your kids not to call anybody stupid. Don't call anybody stupid, kids. But sometimes people do dumb or stupid things. And I've done stupid things as recently as probably yesterday, but one I remember in particular was a week ago. Now, I decided that I was going to do aerial yoga. Anybody ever done aerial yoga? You should do it when you're a whole lot younger than me. You shouldn't do it if you get really sick to your stomach when you're doing the rides that go around like this. What do you call the, like the tilt-a-whirl or something? That should have been my first clue. But in my yoga class, when the woman, the instructor kept saying to me, Julie, you should try this. You should try this. So I decided last week I was going to do aerial yoga. And as I'm hanging from these things from the ceiling, and I'm tipped upside down, and she's telling you that you should be... Um, calm and relaxed and just let yourself start swaying like this. And I was pretty sure I was going to throw up in my mouth. I was pretty sure that was going to happen. You don't want to do that when you're hanging. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world was I thinking? And how did I allow her to talk me into this? Anyway, I digress. But there is somebody in this place, there is somebody in this place who God wants to do something crazy in your life. God has been nudging you to get out of your comfort zone. God has been saying to you, I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this for me. And for maybe somebody else here, you just need to start being bold and step into what it is that Christ has called you to be, a Christ follower, and that you need to start acting like that and being the Christ follower that he says, I want you to be. He wants you to be bold. And kids, it's okay to be bold. It's okay to be different in school and to say, you know what, I am different. And I'm not going to join and do what all the other kids do. Or in the workplace that you're not going to get caught up in all the gossip and all the slander and all the dishonesty that can sometimes happen. He wants you to be bold and he wants you to be different. And only God through the power of his spirit can put a boldness in us that points the world to Jesus. So the second theme that I saw repetitively, and you may have seen it up there too, is that of miracles and signs and wonders. Miracles and signs and wonders. 
We see a lame man get healed in chapter 3. We just read about it. Stephen performs great miracles in chapter 6. Philip performs miracles in chapter 8. Peter heals Ananias and Dorcas in chapter 8 or in chapter 9. There's even a story where the Apostle Paul was preaching and a man is raised from the dead. And we're going to look at that in chapter 20, verse 7. It's kind of a funny story. It's kind of a funny story. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. This is John writing this. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. In other words, preacher Paul was going on and on and on. So if you start throwing your cell phones at me, I know it's time to quit. But preachers can come sometimes get a little bit long-winded. Aaron, you probably don't ever, do you? No, not at all. <laughs> we know that happens. Anyway, the text continues and says this. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, and he was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And then he went upstairs and broke bread and ate. Now, I'm pretty sure if I had just raised somebody from the dead, I wouldn't have an appetite to go up and eat. But here's Paul. He goes down. He heals the man. And then he goes upstairs to eat. Crazy, a little bit interesting. A little interesting. Why did the man fall asleep? Was it because the message was too long or was it because he was tired? We don't know. But what we do know is that Paul listened to the Holy Spirit and he went to heal the man. So today, I'm not going to focus on the miracle because if you read through the book of Acts, you see miracle after miracle. I don't want to focus on that. God does heal. God does perform signs and wonders and miracles. What I want us to hang on is the fact that Paul listened to the Holy Spirit. He quit doing what he was doing, and he went to the man and healed him. He raised him from the dead. And in the Acts church, things like this are happening. God heals. My question for you is this. When was the last time that you listened and responded to the Holy Spirit's voice? When was the last time that you prayed for someone to be healed? When was the last time that you listened to that voice and prayed without the prompting for someone to be healed? In the Acts Church, God is providing unlikely people with unlimited, unforeseen, uninhibited resources. And yes, even Paul, a man who formerly killed Christians, is now raising them from the dead. Crazy? Yeah. Impossible? No. Because he believed what Jesus said when Jesus said in Luke, heal the sick. And so Paul and the disciples took this seriously. And friends, this, is command, this command is for you and it's for me. We need to still do that today. We need to be willing to pray for the sick. We need to be willing to pray for people to make the name of Jesus great. To make his name great. I remember several years ago, um, a friend of mine, her husband was in the hospital and he was dying of cancer. And for about two weeks, the Holy Spirit was, had been prompting me to go pray for him and to pray for him to be healed. This was probably about 25, 30 years ago, and I was like, I, I don't know him. 
I'm not going to go pray for him. I'm not going to just show up. And the Holy Spirit kept prompting me, go pray for him. Go pray for him. And I didn't. And he died. And I remember thinking to myself, why was I not obedient in that? What if? What if God wanted to heal him? And I was the person who was supposed to go pray for him. Now, I've not worn any guilt about that, but it was just a different place in my life where I did not want to listen and I didn't want to obey. I was uncomfortable, but not anymore, you guys. Not anymore. Because I've seen God heal way too many people. I have a niece who 12 years ago was diagnosed with an inoperable, incurable brain tumor. It was called a neuroglioma, and it had fingers around it. It was wrapped around the brain, her brain stem. And there was a group of us, we sat down in the hospital room, and the doctors gave her a death sentence. They said, you have weeks, maybe months to live. Get your affairs in order. And we started praying. We met her in her home. We gathered in the church. We gathered in the church again. We met in my home. We prayed and lay hands on her. And it's been 12 years, friends, and that tumor is lying dormant in her brain. She was told she'd never have kids. She has two kids. One was born on the floor of her bedroom, came so fast. God healed her. And I saw another man at one of our Holy Spirit retreats that we do. We do something called Alpha at our church. And I saw a man who was healed of a torn rotator cuff. And so I've seen so many times where miracles happen. And I will pray when led by God's Spirit to do so. I will pray. Will you? Will you lay hands on the sick and the tormented and the oppressed and the depressed? Will you lay hands on people? And will you, when someone says, will you pray for me, will you pray? That's what they were doing in the early church. And then God does what only God will do. He does his miracles. He does his work. They were listening. And God prompted them to do what God asked them to do. And that brings me to a third theme. And that is that people were listening to the Holy Spirit. People we're listening. How were they doing that? How were they listening? What I love when I read through Acts is seeing how they were worshiping and praying together, how they came together in a community. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to worship. And when we're devoted to prayer and devoted to worship, then God starts doing things that don't add up. He starts speaking to us. We start hearing from him. And we see this all the way through Acts. As we walk with God, as he directs the details of our lives for the accomplishment of his will, his will, not ours, well, things don't make sense, do they? Things don't always add up, do they, Kristen, when we listen to God and when we follow him? And again, in the book of Acts, in chapter 16, there's a story about Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they're making plans. They're making plans to go on a mission trip, and they get interrupted by the voice of the Spirit, and the Spirit is saying, you can't go there. You can't go there. The text reads like this. It says in chapter um, 16, verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And then verse 7 says, When they came to the border of Mystia, they tried to enter, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. And I imagine that Paul had some pretty good plans. He had pretty good plans for this missionary journey, and God messed up his plans up. 
And he messed up his plans more than once. If you study in Acts, has God ever messed with your plans? Has he ever messed with your plans? Here's the deal. If you're looking for comfort, if you're looking for ease, don't follow God. Don't go to church. Don't join a pod. Don't talk to him. Don't read the Bible. Don't listen to him. He'll mess up your plans. One year, Aaron, several years ago, he messed up your plans. But I hope that in this community, there are many of you who are okay with God messing up your plans, who say, bring it on. Bring it on, God. I want to be uncomfortable. I want you to do something in me. I hope you're not satisfied with comfort. I hope you're willing to listen and respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So a couple years ago, so the whole Arizona thing, a couple years ago, I had a conversation with my husband, Chuck, and I said, hey, honey, I detest winter, and he knew that. I detest winter. Is it okay? I think we should start going down to Arizona. You start getting close to retirement. I don't know what that word really means, but you start getting older, and you think, you know what, I'm just going to go south. And so I was going to trade in my, my uh, flannels for shorts. I was going to trade in my snow boots for sandals, and I was going to head down to Arizona. I thought, four to six weeks every winter? This is sounding good. And Pastor Mike... Many of you know or have met Pastor Mike, called me into his office and said, Hey, Julie, I got a proposition for you. I have something God's put on my heart. And God messed with my plans. I'm like, Oh, I wanted to go south. I wanted to go more for, the, for more than a week. And he said, Well, do you think you could put that off for a few years? God messed up my plans. And there is someone here today that God is trying to interrupt your plans. He's trying to interrupt your will, what you want to do. Are you willing to listen to him? Because I guarantee you, if you listen to him and you move in boldness and you do something that God wants you to do, it will change you. It will change your family. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship that you have. Maybe it's something that's going on at work. Maybe it's a, a friendship, a re your relationship with a marriage. Listen to God's spirit and be bold enough to move in the direction that God wants you to move. Be bold enough to move where God wants you to move. And when you listen to him, he'll do those things. So the last theme that I see is that of people believing. People came to faith, it said. People believed. Men and women were being saved. Listen, the men and the women at the Bible, I think this is so interesting because men and women at the beginning of the church heard the good news about Jesus through their verbal testimony. It was the testimony of their faith that brought others to Jesus. They didn't have the written word like we know it. They didn't have an iPad app, an iPhone app that they could just pull up and read the word. They had to learn from each other. And they didn't have a beautiful building like this with great technology, an awesome worship team, Great curriculum with children and youth. They had the Holy Spirit, and they had their personal testimony, and the Holy Spirit worked in them and through them in such a way that others came to want to know Jesus. That's how they came to know Jesus. Friends, people are searching today. People all over this community, people around this country, around this world, people are searching for happiness. They are searching for something and they don't even know what they're searching for. They don't know. 
People have a false narrative that their happiness comes from living the American dream. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm living the American dream. I have a nice home, we have two cars, we have a three-car garage, I have a job I love, I have two children and three grandchildren. I'm living the American dream. We have a family business. But take that all away. And without Jesus, is any of it worth it? Is any of it worth it? We need Jesus. People need Jesus. He fills the void. He fills the void. My belief, my trust, my hope is in him, not my stuff, not the things that God has given me. Are we living in such a way that others around us will want to know our Jesus? Because those early disciples, they were obviously doing something right. They were following the Holy Spirit, and because of their life, because of their testimony, because of how they loved people, others wanted to know Jesus. And they believed down to their big toe that he was the way and the truth and the life. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, they were living it, right? They were talking about him because they believed, because they believed in Jesus. Acts 2.41 says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized, and about 3,000 were added. 3,000. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. And each day the Lord added to their group. That's chapter 2, verse 47. And then the trend continues in chapter 5. More and more men and women believed in the Lord. Why? How? Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then God does what only God can do. Those early Christians were an extraordinary, an extraordinary witness for Jesus because of their reliance on the Spirit of God. And they were extraordinary witnesses because of the extraordinary love that they had for people. Do you love people like they did? Do you love your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers? Or do you spend more time pointing fingers at them? about how they're different than you. I've spent so much of my life criticizing and looking at people who were different. And so the last few years, I've just been praying. A regular prayer of mine is, God, help me to see people with your eyes. Help me to love people like you love them. Help me to look at people who are different from me and not care and not judge. And you know how it is when you start praying prayers, God does things and puts opportunities in your path? Well, about three months ago, I went to an elderly uncle's funeral. And we got in the car. We left the, the funeral service. And I got in the car, and I said to my husband, I started grumbling. I said, oh, my gosh, can you believe how difficult it would be to go to a church like this every week and sing these songs that you can't sing, that they're too high, you don't understand them? Man, I just grumbled. And we got out to the cemetery, and after the pastor was done doing her um, prayers and talking to the family, I turned around, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw a cousin. And I've never really had much uh, conversation with him ever. And he was very disheveled, looked like he'd just come out from under a bridge, honestly. And in many years past, I would have just ignored that. But I looked, and I saw him. And the tears were streaming down his face. He was sobbing, actually. 
And the Holy Spirit voice inside of me said, go talk to him. And I went and had a conversation with him. And I said, hey, what's going on? And he said, oh, that message. Can you believe that message? Do you think that message was for me? I'm such a mess. I am such a wretch. And those songs, those songs, I can't quit, quit thinking about those songs. What do I do with that, he said. And then he said, you evangelicals, you really know what to do. This was a little Methodist church. I'm like, oh, I was grumbling. And so we talked, and I shared with him, and I said, oh, that message was for you. It was for me. It was for all of us. And we talked a little bit further and went, went to the reception, went home, and the Holy Spirit's voice for the next several weeks, well, two weeks actually, was saying to me, you need to send him a Bible. You need to send him a Bible. Oh, God, are you sure? Send him a Bible. So I got a Bible out of our basement, and I, I uh, wrote a note, and I dog-tagged a bunch of the pages, wrote him a letter, sent it to him. Unbeknownst to me, my sister, who was also at the service, who's usually very quiet and timid, was bold, and wrote him a letter and invited him to her church. She said, he'll never come. It's 45 minutes away. You'll never come. About three weeks ago, I got a call from my sister. You'll never believe who came to church today. And he left. He, he sat through the whole service. He cried and he sobbed. Then he left that church, went to the little tiny church where the funeral was at, met my mom at the bottom of the steps and said, Aunt Mary, I want you to know that I know Jesus now. And I have peace in Jesus Christ. Thank you for ministering to your family. Thank you for raising the kids that you did that would be willing to share Jesus with me. This is a true story. And he would have gone with her last week except that my mom was sick. And so he's meeting her today. He's probably just leaving church right now. Their church is at 10. Friends, because the Holy Spirit just whispered, and as many times as I've done this right, I've done it wrong. So this is not a pat on the back. But because the voice of the Holy Spirit said, listen to me. Do what I ask you to do. Tell others about Jesus. Friends, do you do that? Do you do that? Living by the Spirit implies a habitual, continual, active interaction with the Holy Spirit. And only God, only God by His Spirit can do the things that He does. Only God can transform that broken life. Only God can heal. And if you're not experiencing a hunger and a desire to be led and to be filled by his spirit day by day by day, then why not ask him? Why not ask him? And I'm going to ask Emily to come up and um, her team. I heard this song a few weeks ago. And the first time I listened to it, I'm like, ah, I like that song. And then I listened to it again, and I listened. I really listened to the words. And I asked her if she would sing it today as we just listen to God, as we let it be a prayer to God and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So if you'd be willing, close your eyes. You might even want to hold your hands out and just let this be a posture of submission and surrender. Because when we do that, church, when we just hold out our hands, it implies, man, I'm just giving up myself. Let these words minister to you. May they be your prayer.